this podcast became my business school. And you know, because you're a producer on the podcast, we get to learn from some of the greatest entrepreneurial minds ever. And it, it's just such a, I would pay for this experience. And Bill gave me this opportunity. And then I quickly realized that brands needed their own voice now. And audio was such a great way to bring your brand voice into into the world. Everyone was doing digital marketing, video, television, but there's something about audio that makes it empathetic and just really perfect. That's how success happens. From Entrepreneur Magazine, my name is Robert Tuckman. I self-funded, built up, and eventually sold two businesses to major players in the sports and entertainment industry. And I am fascinated by other entrepreneurial minds and what drives high achieving people. So on this podcast, we're going to learn what they've learned and what it takes to really succeed. That's how success happens. From Entrepreneur Magazine, my name is Brett Perlmutter. This week's episode looks a little different than most. For a very special 100th episode, we have decided to turn the mic around and listen to the entrepreneurial journey of How Success Happens' very own host, Robert Tuckman. More from our guests, but first, a word from our sponsors. Every entrepreneur needs a good credit card. However, most credit cards don't reward small businesses. The world of Hyatt Business Credit Card is designed to reward small business owners and Hyatt customers for how they do business. Now, more than ever, small business owners have demonstrated their resilience and innovation as they continue to navigate the challenges of the current environment. Business owners look to be rewarded in personalized ways for how they do business. This new card allows every business expense from hotel rooms to cell phone bills to shipping fees and more to be a vehicle for personalized and valuable rewards, which can be used on one-of-a-kind experiences across World of Hyatt's 19 brands and more than 1,000 locations worldwide. The World of Hyatt's business credit card is now available and has an annual fee of $199. For information about the new World of Hyatt business credit card, visit www.chase.com slash world of Hyatt. So who is this host? Robert Tuckman, you hear each week interviewing some of the most successful entrepreneurs in the world. Rob is currently co-founder of Amaze Media Labs. Amaze is one of the fastest growing businesses within the podcast industry with a focus on creating podcasts for brands, owning and operating multiple podcast networks, and developing pod tech. Formerly, Robert built two other businesses from the ground up around his passions of sports and entertainment. He had two very successful exits where TSC Sports and Entertainment was sold to a private equity firm and is now part of William Morris Endeavor. And GoViva, his other business, was acquired by Creative Artists Agency. Robert is an old school, gritty entrepreneur who has picked himself off the mat time and time again. This week, I will be hosting the interview with Robert. I had the opportunity to sit down with Rob a few weeks back to listen to his incredible journey. This is a very exciting episode of How Success Happens, where we actually get to hear your story, Rob. We've gotten to hear bits and pieces throughout episodes in the past, but never your narrative in full. 
Let's jump right in. Can you start by detailing your early childhood? Where did you grow up and what were some of your earliest values instilled in you? Well, Brett, thanks for choosing to have me on uh, on our, our 100th episode. I thought it was a pretty cool idea to turn it around. Not sure my story is going to resonate as much as all the wonderful guests we've had and you as a producer, I, I want to thank. But for me, really, it all began. I was born in Queens, but we moved uh, to Westchester when I was really just a, a toddler. And growing up, the house I grew up in, my father was a small-time entrepreneur businessman. He was born raised in the Bronx and came through in a time when the Garment Center was really, or New York City's Garment Center was really one of the focal points of fashion. And not that he was really into fashion. I think he really wanted to just make a living and, and be able to pay for food and housing. And he ended up starting a business with his brother that they had for, for 45 years. So growing up in the house I did, I really learned very quickly what it was like to work for yourself. And did you have an early entrepreneurial experience specifically that you want to talk about? It's funny. I, I really didn't. And so many of the guests we have on the show talk about the kid that was selling, you know, uh, baseball cards or bubble gum, or I, I did that, but not to the degree where I really made it like my entire business. I do remember I had a great friend, still do, Jeff Cambar. We used to create something called the Tuck for my last name, Tuck. Cannes Hotel. And our only client was actually his brother who has been on the show. He, David Cambar, who, who founded Skinny Girl Margarita with Bethany Frankel. But we used to create these, you know, we would build like hotels in the house. We were, you know, his house or my house, usually his house. And then we would try and sell his brother to stay over the night and pay. And that never really worked. But as far as an entrepreneur, I think that that was really the limit to what I did as 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 a kid. I, I always, I think, wanted I knew I wanted to be involved in sports in some way, but not necessarily as an entrepreneur. Got it. OK, cool. So we'll touch on the sports thing in a second, but let's fast forward now to your first job. So, so often on the show, we hear from guests like David Rogier or Mike Kennedy, who all talk about leaving corporate America to go start their own business. You too had an experience similar to this. Can you talk a little bit about your first job and then why you left to go start your own business? Yeah, good question, because it really is interesting. You know, I had graduated in the early 90s and it wasn't really a great uh, job market. I had graduated from Boston University. I wanted to be a journalist, a broadcast journalist. At the time, you'd send your resume reel out to TV stations, networks. There weren't many you know, aside from the traditional NBC, ABC, CBS networks. And really, I couldn't land a job anywhere. So I ended up taking a job at investment bank called Lehman Brothers, which of course, as many people know, listen to this podcast, had its own troubles later on. But this was this was 1994, 95. And Lehman was one of the, the biggest investment banks. But the job was really as a what they call a stockbroker trainee, where you really are cold calling people all day to try and sell them stock recommendations of the firm. And I would just sit there. I love the sales end of it, 
I love the cold calling because I love talking to people. I love learning about them, but I just did not like finance. You know, I would pick up the Wall Street Journal or the New York Post and I would read about the general manager of the Mets or the person who did marketing at the Yankees. And I really felt, you know, just after such a short period of time looking around the room, I was just like, you know what? Life's short. This isn't, I don't see myself here. This isn't going to, give me a happy life. Yes, it might make me a lot of money, but you know what? More importantly, I want to do something I love. I want to do something I have a passion for. Absolutely. And so you decide to go and start your own business. When you did that, what were some of the reactions from friends and and family? Well, the first thing I did prior to starting the business, I worked, but you know, funny enough, I got a copy of Entrepreneur Magazine, right, back in the day, which is so great because this podcast is produced and brought to you by Entrepreneur. And I read about a woman who had this promotion company in Chicago. And, you know, I just knew they were selling sports promotions. And and really what it was, was I kept writing her. I don't even, maybe emailing her, calling her, saying, I just want a chance. And she gave me a chance to work out of my home, which was unusual at the time and sell on commission. And I realized I would sell these promotions, sweepstakes contests, chance to go to the Super Bowl to big companies like Hershey or Nabisco. And I really found that I love that business, but I would love when the clients would ask more for, hey, we love doing the sweepstakes, but can we take 10 of our own clients to the Super Bowl? I brought the idea to her and they really weren't keen on it. They were kind of like, hey, you're you're 22, you should be happy doing what you're doing. And that's when I left and said, you know what, let me start my own business. And I would tell you to answer your question, you know, the reaction of so many people was like, why'd you give up the safe bet at Lehman? Why, why wouldn't you stay with this company? They seem like they're doing well. You know, why don't you just go into finance? You're in New York or, or get a job that, you know, you could, feel comfortable and secure about. Because back in those days, being an entrepreneur was was almost, it was looked at differently. You know, there weren't these major entrepreneurs, the Mark Zuckerbergs or, you know, all these people, Jerry Yang, who created Yahoo. Like there wasn't that at the time. It was much more, you go to a company, you stay there for 30 years, you build your reputation, you climb the corporate ladder. And everyone who I had talked to, except for my parents and my friend, my friends mostly were just like, what are you doing? Like you're starting a what type of company out of your apartment bedroom without a computer, without anything really. They just, a lot of people didn't understand. And for me, I didn't look at it as a risk. You know, all I had to do was pay uh, the rent and pay for food. And You know, now older people who have kids and are in different situations, we've had so many of those, as you know, Brett, on the show, like that to me takes some real balls. Like for me in doing what I did was just like, hey, give this a shot. And if it doesn't work, you could always go back and get that job in corporate America. Absolutely. And you mentioned your parents had a different reaction. What was their reaction? I think their reaction, or I know their reaction really was just supportive about knowing, doing what you love. I I think they really, they really believed in me with 
the personality I had, the work ethic, the drive that I would make this successful. I don't think they really understood exactly the business. And, you know, it's really interesting because, as you know, my mom passed away just recently. My father uh, passed away several years ago. And when you brought up that question and just thinking about it, I'm really just so grateful that they gave me that support. You hear so many stories of people not, not the people who do something that their parents are like, you know, what are you doing? And, and they really just gave me that support and said, you know what, you could do anything. And I think that empowerment just really helped me to believe in myself and to know that, you know what, one way or another, I'm going to get this done. I love that. I love that. And so now can you take me through um, TSE? And kind of how you started as a 23-year-old with no experience and kind of what the business model was and how you built up the company. Yeah, it, it was incredible thinking to go back so long ago, uh, back to the mid-90s. And I just remember, you know, I had left that company and I actually had a non-compete at the time. And, uh, you know, even though I was doing a little bit of a different type of business, they still weren't going to let me go start my own business without trying to come after me. And I remember contacting one of my friends. Now he's a partner at a big law firm <laughs> to practice, Jason, Jason Abinsky. But then he was just a, a first or second year at, at a big law firm. And he really helped me navigate how to get out of this situation in a way that was just more so of an agreement, a friendly departure. And, you know, once that was done, then it was like, holy cow, like, okay, now I really have to do everything on my own. Not only do I have to sell, which I was doing before, but once I sell and what we were selling, we were selling mainly packages to events. Like, so like I said, if you want to go to the master's golf tournament or the final four, we would go, or I would go, I would get the tickets, the hotel, I put together the whole experience. I would sell it to the client. My first client, a woman named BJ Zellers was with Edie's Ice Cream and she did an event at the US Open Golf Tournament. It was in Maryland, I believe. And we got gift bags and things, you know, just, it was this experience, but it was really interesting. The one thing I had learned at Lehman was getting on the phone, making those cold calls. And I knew internally to myself, like I was not gonna let this fail. I took so much rejection from, you know, especially to there, there was age discrimination. I mean, when I would go meet people, they couldn't tell initially because it wasn't Zooms. It was just over the phone. But, you know, when you'd meet people or, you know, I'm putting these companies, big major companies would put their hands or would put their faith in my hands. And it was very stressful because I knew I had to sell. And then I knew I had to deliver a good product because if I didn't deliver a good experience, no one would come back and word would get out and delivering the event side, the experience wasn't really my best attribute. My best attribute was going out and selling and building relationships. Got it. And so, you know, speaking of things that you're good at and things that you aren't good at, what we so often hear in the show is when the guests know that they're not particularly great in one area, they typically try to build a team around themselves. Can you speak a little bit to the team that you started to build out at TSE? Yeah. Well, the first part is I found a partner, really a partner for life with 
all of my businesses and, and, and into my third business, uh, a guy by the name of Brett Sklar, who I had met, he had gone to college with one of my best friends growing up, a guy, Michael Kahn in Westchester, and they were roommates. And I had gone out and visited Michael back our freshman year. And I just remember, cause I was at Boston U and they were at Arizona. I remember it was February and I got off the plane and I thought I was in paradise in Tucson, Arizona. Then I got back on the plane, got back to Boston and it's like negative 15 degrees. And I was like, these guys have it right. But that's where I met Brett. And then what had happened is once I started TSC, about a few months in, Brett was really looking to do his own business. He was selling legal paper to law firms. Then he was working for a pharmaceutical company. And we just hit it off right off the bat. He's also a salesperson, but very good in terms of operations and process, things that I'm really not great with. So it, it started with Brett. And then I think we both realized that we needed some expertise within the event planning side, running the events we were selling, creating them. So that's when we brought out a few people to really help us in that respect. And the business, you know, it grew rather quickly. I mean, I guess it's quickly, it took time because we were selling, but we ramped it up pretty quickly. And most importantly is because we brought in the right talent. I brought in one of my best friends from growing up who I trust like a brother, Andy Robb, who really helped with our finances. We brought in different people on, on the event side and just new salespeople. And, um, and we just started taking off from there. And so once the business took off and you seem to be in a pretty great position, you went on to sell your first business. How did that process go? And can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's a good question. I was nine years into it. And the business at the time was, it was a tough business. This was pre-StubHub. This was pre-any transparency in, in the ticketing, secondary ticketing market. So every event was just this, every event would be its own headache or or issue with worries about getting the tickets, fulfilling the orders. And I'll tell you a really quick story, but a good one was, you know, we had our first big event was 2000 Super Bowl Giants versus Baltimore. And um, we basically had 250 top level clients at the event. And we were supposed to get our tickets a week before from the broker. Again, no transparency in the market. We had paid the broker several hundred thousand dollars. Broker calls up like the day, maybe we got down there Thursday. Again, we were supposed to get the tickets the week before. Says, hey, I only have six of your tickets. I'm hoping to get the rest. And we we like, I remember my heart just sinking. And, you know, I was like, no way. This is my reputation. Like, I didn't care the money we spent, the money we were going to lose. We have to figure out a way to make this work. So now... It's Friday morning and I'm like, dude, you have to help us out here. You, you, how do we make this work? I don't care about the dollars. I just want happy clients. You have to get me $250,000 in cash down to, it was in Tampa, Florida. And I'm thinking we have five people in the company at the time. Everyone's in Tampa. The only person who's available who maybe could help us is my brother, who's not really the businessy guy, greatest guy in the world. He's an artist, graphic artist. He's just had gotten married. 
His wife was like, when I called him and told him I needed him to pick up $250,000 from the bank, his wife, yeah, his wife was like, are you dealing drugs? Well, what is going on? But anyway, luckily we worked with a small bank called EAB at the time. They had to go to a couple different branches and amass the money, $250,000. My brother had to pick it up, get on a flight. Again, this is Friday. Banks would close at three those days, fly down to Tampa with the money. Then we had the money. It was all we had in our bank. We were so lucky we even had that much. I had to then hand that money over to the broker after paying him full for all the tickets, hoping that he would get us the tickets. So we call him again. This is Friday. We go over there. We give him the money. Uh, Saturday morning, you know, where are the tickets? I don't have them yet. My heart literally drops again. I'm like, my reputation is going to be ruined. I'm going to have to become like, I'm going to go out to California and be a screenwriter. Like these <laughs> things are all going through my head. Gather myself, uh, still Saturday, finally, literally Saturday into Sunday at about 2 a.m. He calls and says, I got all your tickets. You have to come over here first thing. Now we had told all our clients, you know, they were supposed to get it on Friday. We said, we're going to give them out on the bus, went over to his office. He, he had a makeshift office there Saturday, Sunday morning, got all the tickets, got all our clients. No one ever knew anything. I still have some of those clients today still who have been best friends, clients, which all of that would have been ruined. So to answer your question about why I ended up, the business was a very tough business at that time. And it wasn't as easy. We started to do more events and stuff. And we got our door knocked on a few times and we found a private equity firm that really wanted to acquire us and then allow us to go build the business. And for me, I wanted to learn more. I wanted to learn what private equity was about. I wanted to learn how to really scale a business by acquisition. And nine years into it, uh, myself and Brett decided to sell TSC. And then we went and worked for this company uh, called Fingston Partners. That's the name of the private equity firm. For about five years, we almost had a deal to resell the business again to StubHub. And then the 2008 market hit and that held off. And that was five years. And I ended up leaving at that time. Wow. Going back to your story for a second, any of your current clients listening, now you know. Um, <laughs> so after you go ahead and you leave TSC, did you take any time off? And if so, what did you do? No, you know, I was really ready because the last year had been more of, we were working for this business, but we didn't have much say at the time in growing it. So I, I was really ready and maybe took a tiny bit of time off, but regathered with Brett. We brought in another, a junior partner who had worked for me since he was an intern. It was us three who started a new business called Goviva. And we were just thinking that, you know what? The whole landscape has changed. Our first business was all about sports, sports talent, sports events. And now there was cooking shows and now there was fashion shows and people were interested in create in, in doing experiences around those topics like chef events or fashion events. And it was nice to see because the workforce was changing too as it was dominated by males back in the day. And funny enough, it just reminds me of a story. One of those clients who was on that first trip just sent me a picture from 20 years ago. We did a program with John Madden, who recently passed away, um, called the, they all work for Canadega Wine. We made the Almaden, which is their wine, Almaden All Madden team. 
And um, we created this great experience where you go to the Green Bay Dallas game, get to meet John, tour his bus. But when I, funny enough, like looking back at the picture, it's 90% guys, right? And the world had changed for the better, where there was a lot more women in corporate America. Some of the, the culinary, the fashion, more lifestyle stuff was more appealing just to everyone. And also people were getting a little bit tired of the same, you know, old kind of two tickets to a Yankee game or whatever it might be. So we started Goviva. And can you tell me a little bit more about Goviva? Um, from the research I did, I found that Goviva was actually number 175 on the Inc. 500 list in 2015. So can you also just tell me what that reaction was like that you had when you found out that your company was on a prestigious list like the Inc. 500? Well, it was a great feeling of, of reassurance, but as an entrepreneur, you know, you love that. And especially my personality where I'm worried about the next day, I'm always in the moment, which isn't a great thing as an entrepreneur. You want to look at everything like a, from a lot of times, 20,000 feet. Sometimes, you know, you need to be in the weeds and worry, but like, but for me, it was, it, it was a nice accolade. And we had also made the Inc 500 at TSE sports and entertainment and now with this new business, we're on our way as well. But to answer that question, it just kind of was like, wow, that's pretty cool. Like we're written up, we've built this business. It's built really quickly. We're giving people jobs. We're doing something we love and it's fun. It's enjoyable. Yes, it's still a lot of headache and work. And, you know, anyone who's in the experiential or event business knows like everything has to go extremely well in that moment. There's no like now in the podcasting business where you can cut tape or change it. But that was a really nice moment when we were recognized. It's awesome. And then you go on to get acquired by a massive agency like CAA. Can you describe that? It was amazing. You know, we had built very quickly. Experiences were booming. We were using a lot of celebrities now because it was more lifestyle. So we would use celebrities from all the big agencies. And funny enough, we, we had gotten approached by William Morris Endeavor and some others, and then also Creative Artist Agency. And, you know, I just remember walking into their office, which is an experience in itself and just being kind of blown away, like, wow, the, these guys really know what they're doing. And not just from looking at the office, but really from understanding who they represented and the types of business they were getting into and changing the whole agency landscape where they would buy a company like ours, because if we're using their talent, why not also for them run the events as well? And I think, you know, William Morris Endeavor has done a great job at that, at buying a lot of hospitality properties. So is CAA and all these other agencies too, who are just focused on talent really have diversified but that, that was a great moment. And there were so many smart people there, great people who I learned so much from. And I'm, I'm super thankful for that opportunity. More from our guests. But first, a word from our sponsors. If the pandemic has made one thing clear, it's that I truly value my home. Because my house has become my office. And it's important that it looks great. Decorating a home isn't always easy. But this year... I'm trusting the expertise of Jenny Came Home to curate the space of my dreams. In specific, in updating my office, it's been easy and it looks incredible thanks to Jenny Came Home with their interior essentials. Create the space you'll never want to leave. 
at jennykane.com. Get 15% off your first order when you use code HSH at checkout. That's 15% off your first order, J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com, promo code HSH. And for our next sponsor, That sound is music to my ears. It's the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify is a platform designed for anyone to sell anywhere, giving entrepreneurs like myself the resources once reserved for big business, customized for my needs with a great looking online store that brings my idea to life and tools to manage my day-to-day and drive sales. Making your idea real opens endless possibilities. It's a journey, but that's the beauty of entrepreneurship. Believe me, this podcast started as a passion project and turns out I created an entire business around creating podcasts for brands. I love how Shopify makes it easy for anyone to successfully run their own business. Shopify powers millions of entrepreneurs just like me from first sale to full scale. And every 28 seconds, a small business owner makes their first sale on Shopify. Get started by building and customizing your online store with no coding or design experience. Access powerful tools to help you find customers, drive sales, and manage your day-to-day. Gain knowledge and confidence with extensive resources to help you succeed. Plus, with the 24-7 support, you're never alone. More than a store, Shopify grows with you. This is a possibility powered by Shopify. So go to shopify.com slash HSH, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Start selling on Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash HSH right now. And we're back. Now we got two. We're moving on to our third business. How did you get into podcasting? So this was this was a great story because for this podcast, How Success Happens existed before I came on board, but it was hosted by individual editors, hosts, and a good friend of mine who's the president and head of entrepreneur, Bill Shaw. I was talking to him and saying, you know, I'm leaving CAA. I'm looking kind of what I'm going to do next. I really want to do something I love. I love audio. I see podcasting is growing. And he's like, you know, why don't you start? Why don't you just host How Success Happens? And I really believe he thought I would host a couple episodes and be like, this is too much work. This isn't enough for me. But I, this podcast became my business school. And you know, because you're a producer on the podcast, we get to learn from some of the greatest entrepreneurial minds ever. And it, it's just such a, I would pay for this experience. And Bill gave me this opportunity. And then I quickly realized that brands needed their own voice now. And audio was such a great way to bring your brand voice into, into the world. Everyone was doing digital marketing, video, uh, television, but there's something about audio that makes it empathetic and just really perfect, especially when you want to know more about people who work at brands, brands. So I had the idea to create this agency that at first we were going to start doing live events around podcasting, then the pandemic hit. And then we start 
Amaze Media Labs focused more on the branded podcast. And as you know, we started just to do tons of them for so many companies. You know, we probably have about 45 plus in production in one year. And we started to do a lot of live audio stuff and we created our own networks. And and I've really just been enjoying it because I love podcasting. I love audio. I never want to give up this show or hosting this show because I just really enjoy it. Love it. I was a sports talk radio nerd growing up. And this is just such an amazing medium to really get to know people. But with the business itself, it's funny, even though we had the best year we I could imagine, like just first year, I'm still one of those entrepreneurs that's like, you know, now it's January, whatever, right? I'm like, we got to start selling. It's a new year. We got, and that's in my DNA and I work on that, but it also drives me. And now with that business, it's, you know, I'm really, really enjoying it. We've really ramped up and it's different because it's a business that's built during the pandemic. All my other businesses, we had an office in New York, everyone was sitting next to each other, or we had an office wherever it was, but there was now it's every morning we have a meeting on Zoom. We have a full company meeting on Wednesdays on Zoom. I just met half the company, about 10 or so people in Las Vegas at our only and first annual event that we had after working with them for a year. It's just, it's a really strange time, but it's also exciting. And what are, what are your thoughts on remote work and how it's going to progress from here on out? I like that because, you know, I always ask that question to every every entrepreneur because I am trying to figure it out, too. And really, I am not. It's baffling. I think, you know, like what we're doing is we have people who are in Miami, different parts of Canada, California, Boston, New York. We do have a good group of people in New York. So we have a WeWork office or the yard it's called. And we're going to have a few desks here so people can start coming in, hopefully when this new wave settles down and hopefully by March or whenever, when we're in the spring, where people can come in. But it's worked when you have the right people. It works really well. When you don't have the right people and people tuning out, zoning out. It's very hard to keep track, which is tough. But so far, we've we've been fortunate with most of the people we've hired. That's awesome. So huge congratulations, first off, on Amaze Media Labs. That's amazing. I want to go back to what you said earlier about this show being like a business, business school for you. And for me, I, I 100% agree. What are some of the most valuable lessons you've learned on this show so far? Well, I, I think to... The biggest thing I've learned is that whether we have an entrepreneur on who's sold his business or her business for billions of dollars or an entrepreneur who's created something incredible like a nonprofit like the other week, Sal Khan from Khan Academy, whoever it is that we're speaking to, they all went through multiple times where they were thrown to the mat and easily could have walked away and quit before the magic happened. And I've learned, number one, that the most important thing is persistence and being able to pick yourself off that mat and being able to then go for it. And I I remember someone saying about how they were going up to pitch a client new business and he just found out that like their last quarter business was horrible. A huge client pulled out, had to put on this happy face and get through it, not only with his employees, but with the new client. And I just think that to me was one of the biggest lessons. And then also the other lesson was that 
happiness, really true happiness, isn't about the dollars or, or what you sell. I remember having Mark Randolph on who was a founder of Netflix. And for him, I this always sticks with me, like what he kept talking about that brings him true happiness is he mentors like seven or eight people. He started his own podcast. And it was just really amazing that like you, you think always like, okay, if I'm successful in this business, it grows, I could sell it or make money and I'll be happy. And it also just reminded me that you have to do something you're passionate about or something that you love or something that best of all, if it's a mission for you really to get up every morning, because there's so many hard days to get up in being an entrepreneur. I vividly, I believe it was Eric Mosley. Who You're was right. There. And I, that one was just imprinted in my mind forever, as are so many of these incredible stories. Um, okay. Two more questions. I know we're we're tight for time here, but one I wanted to ask you, this is another one you ask on the show a lot. So I'm going to flip it back on you here. Any advice that you would give our listeners who are thinking about starting a business, going off, breaking off from corporate America, doing their own thing? I would say you have to go for it. If it's what I find happens in talking to people and some people took a couple of years to get there, but they finally got there to have the courage to jump off the diving board. Everyone's in a different situation from wherever they might be in life with a family, but you're ne- if it keeps gnawing at you and you have this opportunity, like, as I said, you can always go work for someone. Eventually you'll find something where you can work for someone. But if you have an idea and you have a business, like you have to, you have to give it a try. You have to go for it. You can never have it perfect. Even when I started Amaze, after having two successful businesses, I was really nervous. Like, is this going to work? I don't know. You know, three months into it, and especially funny enough, after the year we had three months into it, I was like, I don't know if this is going to work. And I was, even then I, I was scared. And you would think that it would have gotten easier and I would have that confidence in myself. And, and I didn't, but I always say, you just have to jump, dive, and know that the first product you put out there, whatever it might be, might not be what you end up really selling or doing, but you have to just go for it. And then you have to put in the time. So lastly here, I just want to touch on one of the things I admire most about you is using both your success and platform to give back to your community. You and I have spoken at length about your role as a board member of New York Edge and your passion for helping the organization. And I was wondering if you wanted to touch a little bit on that. Thank you so much for asking that and talking about New York Edge because it is an incredible organization. It serves 40,000 really underserved kids in the New York City public school system. Talking about kids who, when they go home at night, their parents might not be there. They might have one parent. They might be in foster care. They do not have any of these benefits that a lot of children have, whether it's tutoring or enrichment programs. And this whole organization is focused on helping these kids. And I got involved. I went to speak because I was working in sports to a class 15 years ago, maybe longer. And I fell in love. You know, I love New York City. I love children. And I just felt it was so unfair having kids myself, some of the opportunities they were given when these these kids really had nothing. And New York Edge provides them not only now with after school, but all types of enrichment programs. And it's just such an incredible organization. We've had so many people on this show who I get to talk to. That's what I usually do after if they could help. Uh, Sal Khan from Khan Academy is now talking to New York Edge. 
Asahi Pompey, who is big time at Goldman Sachs. They went and Goldman made an incredible donation and is working with them now here in New York. It's just amazing to get the word out because this organization and the woman who is is running it is incredible. And I'm so proud to be a part of it and to kind of wrap up like, you know, at the end of the day, when, you know, we've talked about this too with other entrepreneurs, when they write your eulogy or they talk about you, you know, and not to get morbid at your funeral, like they might say, oh, he had Robert Stockman. He was an entrepreneur. He started, but you know what? They're going to talk about what that person did for their community, how involved they were, what they did to really change the world for the better. And for me, that that's really what I've learned is, is most important in life. I love it. Rob, thanks so much for sharing your story with all of our listeners. I'm sure they appreciated it as much as I did. I'm just worried you're going to take the new hosting role if Bill hears this podcast and sees how well you did. You might uh, they might have a new host in you. That was that was awesome from a producer who you've been uh, you know off mic, but I, I really appreciate it. And thanks so much, you know, for coming up with the idea to interview me for the hundredth episode and super psych, man, super psych, Brett. And, uh, for all our listeners, I hope I gave you some insight into myself and it, it wasn't as good as, uh, some of the usual incredible guests we get, but, uh, at least now you'll know a little bit more about the guy asking questions. So thanks again. Cheers to 100 more. Let's do it. And that's our episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to How Success Happens wherever you get your podcasts. We come out with a new episode every Wednesday morning, and you don't want to miss it. And if you like to share, please feel free to pass along the show to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost, and I could always use the subscribers. And do you have ideas for guests? I always love to hear about great entrepreneurs. If you know anyone, shoot me an email at hsh at entrepreneur.com or on Twitter at Robert Tuckman, that's R-O-B-E-R-T-T-U-C-H-M-A-N, or even send me a message on LinkedIn. How Success Happens is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for insight on building your business, or even better yet, subscribe to our magazine. No joke, I found my first job after reading about a company in Entrepreneur Magazine back in the 1990s. It's always been my absolute favorite magazine for entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening and spending some time with me today. Until next time, my name is Robert Tuckman, just a fellow entrepreneur and your host. See you soon.